that song is going to be stuck in your head all afternoon now. <clears throat> so you can thank me later, okay? I've been singing it all week, and my kids are looking at me like, Dad's lost it, okay? Um, so, hey, it's good to see you guys start a new series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Uh, obviously, a little play on uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. How many of y'all know who Mr. Rogers is? Okay, good. Um, we got a bunch of Christians in the room, so that's good. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, you'll get that later. Take another cup of coffee. But, uh, man, Mr. Rogers was uh, an iconic figure in television history. Uh, if you don't know, he uh, started and created uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, where that song comes from. Probably one of the most iconic and longest-lasting educational programs for kids. It ran from 1968 to 2001. And so Fred Rogers is his name, and he created this program, this television series, where each um, episode, he really addressed um, any kind of topic. I mean, there's a wide range of different things of how to de deal with disappointment for kids, how to uh, walk through love, uh, losing a loved one, uh, maybe fear, just different things uh, that he would cover. And he would sing simple songs. He would invite guests from the neighborhood, um, mailmen and police officers and different workers. He would also um, have interviews of people. Then he had what was called the make-believe neighborhood. If you remember this, it was kind of a, a kingdom. Uh, king Friday was the, the king. You remember this? Is this bringing back some memories for, for some of you? Um, and, and so he would just address a bunch of different things and was on TV for a long, long time. And I don't know, like, maybe it was just because of the timing. I didn't really, I watched, I know who Mr. Rogers is, obviously. Um, and I didn't watch a lot of his shows. Maybe it was because of the cheesy... Uh, cardigans that he wore. Um, don't you remember that? He'd come in, change from one cardigan to the next. Then he'd put on his house shoes, right? Even he had like this one moment, and I don't know if this is like later episodes, he would like, I felt like he would take his work shoes and like take them and like flip them up in the air and catch it. Like so much swag, you know? That's like Mr. Rogers, man. He would grab that, put on his house slippers. Um, but what did it for me is the puppets, okay? If you remember Make Believe Neighborhood, the kingdom had puppets, King Friday was a puppet, and um, maybe it's just because I'm like, I was an 80s, 90s kid, and I grew up with Chucky, um, and I know he's not a puppet, but that just kind of creeps me out, okay? Just, some of you are afraid of clowns, I'm afraid of puppets, all right? It just does it for me. I just can't do it, <clears throat> and so I never really watched it, but man, like some people, like you can even tell them now, they would say that's like when TV was TV. It was just good, wholesome TV for the family, and, and he would address these things, and so... Um, but on May 9th of 1969, Mr. Rogers, as he directed and, and uh, kind of decided what was going to be on each episode, May 9th, 1969, he really wanted to make a statement on what it meant to be a good neighbor. And so despite the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which made segregation illegal, there were still cultural practices that were taking place of the day. Um, segregated bathrooms and water fountains. One being uh, the segregation of community pools. That in the, in the height of neighborhoods being built and community pools being created, that it was not culturally acceptable for African Americans to be in the pool with white people. And so um, it just wasn't, it was a cultural taboo. 
Even so much so, you can see there's one famous video where an owner, um, the story goes where there were uh, white people and black people that uh, kind of to protest this, jumped into a pool, and the owner of the pool did not like it. And so what did he do? He grabbed a ton of cleaning chemicals and different acids for the pool and began to just dump them into the pool to get people out. And, and so Mr. Rogers was not okay with that. So he decided, hey, we're going to kind of punch this cultural taboo, this, this tension in the face. And so on Mar- uh, May 9th, 1969, he has this episode where it's a hot summer day and he's in his backyard um, soaking his feet in a kiddie pool because that's what everybody does in the summer, right? You soak your feet. I don't know. Um, but he soaks his feet in this kiddie pool of his backyard and he invites Officer Clements. Now, Officer Clements was an African-American officer. You probably have heard about this. It's really one of the more popular episodes But he invites Officer Clemens, this African-American police officer, to join him not only in his house, not only to his backyard, but to soak his feet in the same pool that Mr. Rogers was soaking his feet to cool off in. And man, this was huge because really the taboo and the whole racist belief was that if whites and blacks were in the pool together, that... um, diseases from the African-American community would be transmitted to white people. And so this was huge. And so not only did he have him over to his house, but said, you can soak your feet here. Now, in addition to that, when it came time for Mr. Clemens to uh, leave the episode, Mr. Rogers handed his towel to Officer Clemens, and Officer Clemens cleaned off his feet, gave it back to Mr. Rogers, and just a few minutes later, Mr. Rogers clean or dried off his feet with the same exact towel. It was making a statement. He's like, this is how you can be a good neighbor. Now, what a lot of people don't know, and this is my favorite part of the story, is that 25 years later, Fred Rogers asked Mr. Um, Clemens, okay, Officer Clemens to come back. Now, Officer Clemens initially on the first round was really hesitant. Because he wasn't really an officer, Um, he was just an actor, he was actually a performer who sang a lot, and he told Mr. Rogers, I'll do it as long as it doesn't get in the way of my singing career. And there's actually, uh, you can watch some documentaries, and Mr. Rogers always would tell him, is this getting in the way of your singing career? (laughs) All the time. But anyway, he didn't know, Mr. Clemens was like, I just don't know if I should do it because of maybe what people would say. But anyway... 25 years later, Fred Rogers invited Mr. Clemens back onto the show to reenact the same scene from that historic moment 25 years prior. So here they are, Mr. Rogers and Mr. Clemens, a little bit more aged, but soaking their feet in the same pool. Now, here's what's interesting about this, is that while maybe the racial tensions weren't as prevalent of the day, Mr. Clemens, Officer Clemens, in his private life, um, came out as a homosexual. And at first, Mr. Rogers, they went against his faith, and he just didn't really know how to handle that. Told Mr. Clemens to kind of keep that on the DL for the show's sake. But then he came to say, you know what, man, he's my neighbor, and I love him. And so invite him back on the show for this moment right here. Now, what ensues in this episode when it comes time for Officer Clemens to leave 
Instead of Mr. Rogers just handing him a towel and saying, hey, just like we did earlier, 25 years ago, dry off your, your feet. Mr. Rogers grabs that towel and continues to dry off the feet of Mr. Clements, of Officer Clements. He dries his feet. And here's what Officer Clemens said. I love this quote from him. He said, I saw a connection to Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and I found the act very moving. And he later said, I'm a black gay man, and Fred washed my feet. Man, what a powerful story of service and being a good neighbor. And as I read that this week, I thought, am I a good neighbor? Are you a good neighbor? Over the last three weeks, if you've been here, we were in this one series, really this mission and vision of our church, talking about we want to be unified as a church. We want to be unified in prayer by saying, hey, we're going to pray the same thing. God, use me. And last week we said, okay, who is our one? Who's the one person that really that's in our life that needs Jesus? And we're not just going to just pray and say, oh, that's really sad. They need Jesus. But we're going to start taking some action steps of what it means for them to see Jesus in our lives, have conversations, and who knows, over the next two years, our prayers that they come to know Jesus. And it really starts with this thought of, if that is the what, over the next three weeks in this series, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, is really the why and the how of how we can begin to be great neighbors. If you think about it, Churches are really good about being in communities, but not going out to communities. That we can kind of just kind of close these doors on Sunday morning and say, hey, this is our little tight-knit community of folks, but we're not going to go out into the community. And we don't want to be like that as a church. We want to be good neighbors. And so we're going to start this morning by looking at a pretty famous passage uh, in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we get to this scenario, you probably have heard it, I know I've preached it several times, where this gentleman's asking this question of Jesus, of what is the greatest commandment. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be um, in chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Excuse me, and my voice started to go second, or first service, so um, sorry if it's annoying and raspy, or you could just say it sounds good like Barry White, okay? Um, <clears throat> You'll get that later. Verse 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus this, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So Jesus actually quotes what's known as the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, which was something that was uh, culturally speaking, every Jew memorized. They knew it. And they knew the significance of that statement. So obviously Jesus leans in, says, hey, that's the most important thing. He says, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. But then he didn't stop there. He said, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. And Jesus is like, I know I'm right. I'm Jesus. Okay. He didn't say that. But anyway, says, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there are no others besides him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength 
and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all um, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So you have this moment where Jesus says, hey, here's the two most important things. Love God with everything that you have, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But you also need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, practically speaking, when it comes to loving our neighbor and asking people, won't you be my neighbor? Loving our neighbors is hard, isn't it? It's not easy. It's a challenge for us. And it comes to really, in my opinion, it boils down to two things. It's hard loving our neighbors, one, because we love ourselves more. That gets in the way. If he says, love your neighbor as yourself, well, we love ourselves pretty good. We love the comforts of our house. We love, in our context, to say, hey, I want people that I know and I trust and I love, they can come inside my house, but not a stranger. And so we say, hey, I like to decorate my house. I like to do everything inside the walls of my house, all that other stuff. And I just love myself a lot. You might not say that out loud, but your life looks like that. You're, you're, you love the comforts. You love the desires of the way that you are in your neighborhood and how you are, are in your yard and all those different things. And so that gets in the way. The second thing is, which is often common, is that it's hard to love our neighbor because we don't like our neighbor or we don't know our neighbor, okay? And let's be transparent. We all have neighbors we do not like, Okay. You know, as soon as you move into your neighborhood, quickly, who the neighbors are around you. You know, like, I often think it's funny that when we buy a house, we get an inspection of the house, we get all the ins and outs, we get the appraisal, find out what it's worth, and you know, uh, especially you ladies, you walk into the house, you're like, I could put this here, decorate this here, we need a new couch here, new mirrors here, we got to redo this kitchen, it's not going to work, okay? And so all these different things, but you never really consider who your neighbors are. And what's funny is that quickly you realize who is in your neighborhood. Now, every neighborhood has these kind of neighbors. You have the nosy neighbor, right? You know what I'm talking about. The one that walks around the neighborhood all the time, and she's always up in everybody's business. And every time you stop him or her, it's like, did you hear what Susie did over there or Tom did over here? Let me tell you about that, uh, with this scenario over here. They're usually walking around, just spreading gossip left and right. They're, they're, uh, they got that Yeti cup filled with red wine, okay? And they're walking around, talking to everybody, and they're spreading rumors, right? Nosy neighbor. You also have the neighbor that doesn't talk to anybody. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you could literally be like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, we have one of those neighbors. Now, I'm going to be honest, okay? Hopefully, he won't watch this online. Please, God, don't. But we have one of these neighbors, okay? I, um, I decided, well, me and my wife decided, because we're a team, okay, to decorate for Christmas yesterday. So we decorated the outside of Christmas, all right? So judge me all you want, all right? But uh, we're out of town for Thanksgiving next week. Um, the following week, I'm out of town Friday and Saturday. So I'm like, we got to get this thing up. So I'm decorating Christmas. The neighbor who doesn't talk, right? Now, true story. The only time he ever talks, well, that, he doesn't really talk. He actually gets his wife to talk for him, which is a whole nother counseling session, okay? But it's when they need something. So when he needs something, he asks his wife to reach out to Sloan or to me, and he's like, doesn't do it. So anyway, I just, he never talks. 
So I'm coming down from the ladder from putting Christmas lights up yesterday, and he's like, oh, Christmas decorations. I said, yeah. And he goes, don't you think it's too early to decorate for Christmas? So I know this isn't Christian, okay, but I made a passive-aggressive comment. It's semi-Christian, okay? And I said, it's never too early to celebrate Jesus. That's what I told him. He didn't know how to respond, right? Like, what do you do? You say, no, it's not. You know, like, how, like what? Do you, he's like, okay. I, like, totally Jesus juked him in that moment. Like, what, you know? And I'm like, man, that wasn't. So later, I was like, yeah, I showed him. And then I'm like, wow, I was a jerk, okay? That's not, I'm about to preach about loving your neighbor. And I didn't really love so well. But you have those neighbors, right? You also have the neighbors. If you think about it, I call them the, uh, the burbs, okay? Do you remember the 1989 movie? with Tom Hanks is in it, the burbs, that it was like this creepy house that you just didn't really know what was going on. Like the yard looks creepy. You think the house is haunted. The, the grass is up to here and they're probably hiding bodies somewhere, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like you have those, like we have a neighbor in our neighborhood. The grass is like this hall. Like their whole front yard is like this high. And it's, it's the oddest thing, okay? I know. I'll ask for forgiveness later. I'm just being real, okay? Is that they like have like one strip of lawnmower where they like just went right through the middle of it. And I'm thinking, will you cut your grass? I'm coming here when it's dark and I'm just cutting your grass for you. You know what they did this year? I guess they got a lot of complaints. They put a little sign. It says butterfly garden. Do not disturb. I'm like, is that true? You just don't want to cut your grass. Like, I don't see any butterflies, and I don't see any, like, this isn't like the Biltmore, okay? Like, you have no gardens of any flowers. Like, I don't know, it's just all weeds, you know? So I know I'm judgmental, okay? Lord, I apologize. But it's just one of those things. You have those neighbors that you're like, whatever. And then you have, like, the neighbor that I call it, that how many kids do you really have, neighbor? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I feel like there's a gazillion kids at this. I'm like, is there a daycare coming right out of that house? Like, this is crazy. Like, are all those your kids? Are they like neighborhood kids? Like, can I come over for a snack? Because it looks like a good time, you know? And so you, we have all these different neighbors. And, and if you don't have those neighbors, you're the neighbor, okay, that everybody's talking about. But we all have those things. But here's the truth. And this is a hard reality. We are more concerned about our neighbors following the HOA covenants and not making their yard look like Sanford and Son than we are about their eternity. We do more talking and complaining about, oh, I wish they wouldn't park their car in the yard. I wish they would cut their grass. Did you see what color they painted their house? They're always so loud. It makes our neighborhood look so redneck, all this other stuff. And you have never had a conversation about Jesus with that person. We're so quick to talk about those things and we're not a good neighbor if we don't share Jesus with them. And we look at this passage, and as Jesus is talking about, the bottom line that we can really pull away from this is loving your neighbor like Christ begins with you loving Christ. That if you're going to love your neighbor well, if you're going to show them Jesus, you need to know who Jesus is and love him. It's directly connected. That's why Jesus said, love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor as yourself without loving God. There is no way to do it. It might be surface level, but to really love is to really show eternity's sake and eternal principles that go beyond just the facade of the earth that we live on. And so if that's going to happen, man, we have to love Christ. And out of the outflow of us loving God with everything that we have, 
Are you going to be perfect? Are you going to be fully sanctified? No, that isn't, that's not going to come until you die and meet God in heaven. But on this earth, as you are pursuing Jesus and loving him well, if you do that, naturally, as an outcome, you will love others well. You won't be quick to judge. You won't be so angry. Me and Sloan went to the movies on Friday night. I kid you not. This guy, the, the internet was down. And it, it's pretty scary, you know? Like, I don't know if the internet's ever been down at your house, but like in the movies, like, the internet was down. They're like cash only. They're like tally marking things, like from the Ice Age, you know? They're like, ah. And this guy shows up. I mean, he's with his wife. They're on a date. And I, man, he just shows up and he's like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe. We can't even buy tickets. We got to stand in this. And the reason they're, they're making you stand this is so you can buy the popcorn. They're just trying to force your hand. I'm like, dude, you are an angry bird, okay? Like, think about this. You are angry. But the thing is, it's like, you, don't know, you probably don't know Jesus. If you're that angry, you don't know Jesus. And so for us to be good neighbors, we have to love Jesus first. Rosaria uh, Butterfield, she has this uh, book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a great, great book. It's all about hospitality and our call as Christians to invite people over to our house and around our dinner tables. But she says this, radically ordinary hospitality shows the skeptical post-Christian world what authentic Christianity looks like. Why? Because you're inviting them into your life. You're not just keeping things at a distance and saying, I can love you, but you need to stay over there. You're saying, come into my house. Come eat dinner with my family. And I think what is so interesting that as Christians, we're kind of given the title historically for being evangelical. You probably have heard that, okay? Stems from the word evangelism, to go, to preach, to share the good news of Jesus. We're evangelical Christians because we are called to share that. Uh, I'll never forget when I was in youth ministry, I asked students one time, I said, who could tell me what evangelism is? This guy, I'll never forget, middle schooler, raised his hand, saw proud. I was like, yeah, buddy, what, what's evangelism? He said, evangelism is when you destroy somebody's property or you spray paint something. And I'm like, that is vandalism. But it kind of sounds the same, okay? <laughs> um, but it proves my point that so, what's so crazy is that we're known as evangelical Christians, but we really don't share. We really do not share. And for some of you in this room, you're like, evangelism, what, what is that? And historically, the church has gone through all kind of different programs and steps you can do EE, Evangelism Explosion, or FAITH, which is like an acronym for something, you know. You can be trained in the Cube and all these different things, okay. And there's all kind of different tools and resources, okay, whatever. But what about just sharing your life with people and loving people well? And being like Mr. Rogers and just saying, here's my towel. We can share this together. You know what? Let me serve you and wash your feet. In Romans uh, 10, you could turn there, it'll be on the screen too, and I'm kind of going back and forth, which I, I don't normally do, but Paul addresses this. If you remember when Jesus came, the Jews thought that we're the chosen ones. We're the only ones that are going to heaven. And Jesus comes, he flips that upside down and says, no, man, it's for the Gentiles too. And the Gentiles represent and symbolized everybody else. The people that didn't follow all the rituals and the rules and weren't you know, rescued out of Egypt and slavery, all this other stuff. 
And so Jesus says, hey, it's for everybody. He flips that on its side. And so Paul in Romans 10 is talking about how salvation is for all people, everyone. It doesn't matter your skin tone, your background, your history, or anything like that. And we get to this point where as he's talking about that in chapter 10 of Romans, starting at verse 13, where Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now think about the simplicity here. I don't want to like make it too elementary, but what he is saying is anyone who calls out to God and has this uh, genuine experience that says, God, I need you. I, I, I'm a sinner. It separates me from you, and I, I need some help. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Hell. Eternity in hell. Your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your, your you know, acquaintances at work, your co-workers, whatever, they need Jesus. And their default is going to hell. That sounds like I don't have a heart, but it's the truth. It's the gospel. Without Jesus, we're all destined there. And so... With this, Paul says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved from hell. And then he continues. He puts the angst really on us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Two just kind of quick notes, if you're taking notes. That one that we see from this passage, everyone has an opportunity. You and I have an opportunity to share Jesus. Man, God has strategically and divinely placed people in your life for you to share Jesus with. Coworkers, friends, family, that annoying neighbor who's hard to like, who, you know, gets on your last nerve, who has a tall grass, you know, you just want to go cut it. Go cut it. Well, I mean, ask for permission. It might be a butterfly garden, okay? But at the same time, you have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. They, who who knows, you could be the answer to someone else's prayer to invite them into a relationship with Jesus, and they could be someone who needs to call on the name of the Lord, and God can use you to help that process. Along with the Holy Spirit and his divine hand, God can use you in that opportunity. That people are in our lives that come from different backgrounds, church experiences, no church, crazy church, burned by the church, you know, angry about things. He gives you opportunities each and every day. And the people that are in your life, what are you doing with those opportunities? Are you inviting them into a relationship with Jesus? Are you showing them somehow? Now, you might disagree with me on this. And I will say, just good acts alone doesn't save somebody. But serving people in your neighborhood, loving them well, doing acts of service, random acts of kindness, those things are an incredible bridge to share Jesus. I know we talked about last week where these four men uh, bring a paralyzed guy and, and Jesus addressed the spiritual first. But in a lot of cases in Jesus' life, he 
addresses the physical needs before the spiritual. So it's not just that, hey, I, I know your wife is in the hospital and you need some help at home, but before I can help, you need to come to know Jesus first. I'm just not going to cook you spaghetti dinner tonight until you know Jesus. <laughs> you know how ridiculous that sounds? But that spaghetti dinner could be a bridge to be like, thank you so much for that. Thank you for thinking of my family. Man, we're thinking about you guys. Anything else you need, we're praying for you. Man, you pray? Yeah. We, we, we've been praying for you. We believe God hears our prayers. Do you go to church anywhere? Man, so easy. It can act as a bridge. We have an opportunity. Whether that is in our neighborhood or at our jobs, God is putting those people there, and we need to pick up the towel and share that towel. The second thing that we see in this, not only does everyone who calls in the name of the Lord um, shall be saved, but each of us has a responsibility. Think about this. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's not a, hey, when you get around to it, when you think about it, when you finally get enough courage, then say it. Man, it is our responsibility to share Jesus. Man, I'm so thankful. I say this all the time. I'm so thankful for my group of friends when I was 14 years old that took that responsibility serious, uh, uh, seriously enough that they invited me to church. They had those hard conversations. I think I've told you all this. I remember going to a Carmen concert. Do you remember who Carmen is? Okay. Some of you are like, what? Google it. You won't believe me. Okay. But he was a big Christian entertainer, did these songs and stuff, packed out domes, super cheesy, whatever. Sorry if that offends you. But I remember he had an invitation and was like, hey, if you don't know Jesus, and my friends were like, hey, we know you don't know Jesus. Do you want, do you want to know him? And just in that moment, I mean, I was so prideful, and I told him, this is my response. I've said this, and, and it sounds funny now, but it's actually really sad. And I told him, no, I, I I was like, I'm a Christian. And they're like, <laughs> you are? And I said, and this is my response. Yeah, what did you think I was, Jewish? That's what I said. And they're like, ha-ha, you idiot, okay? We're praying for you. And in that moment, man, they, they just knew. They knew I didn't know Jesus. And I'm so thankful for them reaching out and taking the responsibility to say, hey, we love you enough. We're going to take some steps in this. To, to really show you who Jesus is by being a good neighbor. Are we doing that? Are we taking the responsibility serious enough in the people that God has placed in your life to say, won't you be my neighbor? There might be some hurt. There might be some pain. There might be some differences. But I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I want you to know Jesus. So maybe that's your one that you wrote down last week on our commitment cards. Maybe in this time you didn't write a commitment card, but you're like, I know that one person. You're going to have to get over your comfort zone. You're going to have to be, you're, you're going to have to do some things. And as a final kind of statement, if we want to reach the people across the street, we have to be willing to cross the street. It's easy for them just to come into our house. What that means is you might have to reach out to that single mom you don't really know a lot about, but you know her kid is just a mess at school, a bad influence on your kids. You might need to invite them over for dinner. You might need to uh, go and cut that neighbor's yard. Instead of complaining about it, say, hey, I don't know your story, but I noticed I don't mind cutting it, not in a passive-aggressive way, but to say, hey, I noticed you haven't cut your grass in a while. Can I help? Not just, I'll pray for you. I'll pray. We got to take action steps to actually cross 
the street and do things to be a good neighbor, to love them well. And that could be a great invite for a relationship to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you want to know him. Man, we always want to have the opportunity for you to talk to somebody. You could talk to me. I'll be down front or afterwards. Come see me. Let's talk about Jesus, um, what it means to, because ultimately we can be good neighbors because God sacrificed his son Jesus and extended that grace and invited us to that table of forgiveness and his love. And so we can do that. And so if you want a relationship with Jesus, man, today's the day in that. But in this time, maybe just during worship or in prayer, you just want to throw up that name of your one and say, God, I'm looking for opportunities. Let me be obedient in that. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that you sent your son Jesus as a bridge to pay the price, to separate, um, to bring about what sin separated, that we could be in relationship with you. You extended that grace. You extended that love. And so the very least that we can do is that the people you've put around us, let us not be irresponsible about reaching our neighbors. Let us look for opportunities to serve, to love. Who cares about their background? Who cares about what their faith is? Who cares about where, what their sexual orientation is, God? You call us to love people. Jesus didn't have this set of parameters to say, okay, before I can eat dinner at your house, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. Man, he called out people and said, hey, let's go hang out. Let me tell you about something that's so much greater than this life. And Father, allow us to do that. Look for opportunities to love, to speak truth, but do it in a way that reflects you. Not in a passive way that just sits back and complains more about the things that we wish our friends, our neighbors, and coworkers would do. Let us be the solution to step in and stop complaining and point them to the only hope in this world, and that's you, Jesus. Let that convict our hearts and be in our hearts each and every day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's worship together. If you want to talk or make a decision, I'll be down front and would love to do that with you.